You're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Andrew. Hey guys, it's Andrew, and I'm writing this week, as the intro has already told you. But what do you have for me? Watcher <laughs> <Not your> oh. Andrew! <laughs> Andrew, it's happening. You get oh all the good gosh. ones, I swear. I swear, you got to do the, the Night of the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> you don't read you things. Know me. You got to explore Westeros, the place we've always wanted to explore on the show, and now you get to explore the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Trademark. Ah! Ah! You know why? Because they released a play recently, a two-parter called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And that's what we're going to do today. We're doing it! My goodness! Oh my goodness, the excitement is present and accounted for. Uh, Look how visibly excited so he is, Eric. We need to we need to make a we need to make a quick little dis- away, little Andrew. distinction here. Oh, hey, yeah, one yep. second. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, no, uh, so we need to make a little bit of a distinction here for the listeners. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have read the Harry Potter series, except for this new play. I haven't read this at all, but I have read and seen all the films for mm-hmm. those uh, first seven. I and guess eight that's films. why that we thought we might never do Harry Potter on the show. They said it couldn't happen. They, they said, said it couldn't be done. <laughs> it couldn't be done. <laughs> but they came out with a new thing, with new characters and a new plot, a new story. So now it is fair game. Andrew does have the background for all these characters and the events that happen in this world that this is all based off of. Yeah. But has not read or seen this play. Yep. So this will so, be more like a fan fiction than anything we've done, perhaps. Uh, very e- true. Even we're- more than The Seven Kingdoms. But mm-hmm. we're going to challenge Andrew to focus on the new characters who are well-established in this play. Mm. And it's also worth noting uh, that a lot of the commentary on this play is that people felt that it, it read like a fan fiction. This is the first official Harry Potter work outside of film that was not written by J.K. Rowling herself. She came up with the story in conjunction with the director, John Tiffany, and the playwright, Jack Thorne, but she did not herself write the play script. Okay. Uh, And some people have used that as a pejorative. We don't like using the word fan fiction as a pejorative. No, we, we think no, that man, fan fiction, no. you know, embrace the community, even if we uh, only do our own shammy version of it. Uh, so we're excited to see what you have, Andrew. How your your journey back to Hogwarts unfurls. This is exciting. So, uh, just to give you some quick background before we jump into it, um, the play itself, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, came out on the West End uh, on June seventh, twenty sixteen, earlier this year. 
And oh, yes. uh, the print version of the rehearsal edition came out uh, in, in, you know, print uh, July 31st. Ooh, hey, ooh, hey, why year. is that a significant date? Why I know, is that a significant I know date? that. I know that. Ooh. Andrew, Andrew. Because it's Harry's birthday. And Aww. J.K. Rowling's birthday. Okay, Aww. I didn't know that part. We're super fans. That's right. That's cute. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, so pick that up, obviously. Uh, read it because, I mean, you could try to get into the show. You know, go, go to London and check out the production. It's probably fantastic. I know nothing about it. Sold out for really the next year. <laughs> sure. That's yeah, fine. Uh, but they're going to be releasing another version of the uh, the script in 2017 because they made a lot of changes to the print version in rehearsal. So the, the production that is on at the West End is slightly different than the print version that we have read and are basing this whole thing off of. Just more... Uh, so all of our London listeners who have gone out and seen the show on the West End will see some differences in the description here <laughs> possibly possibly <laughs> um but yeah let's just let's just roll into it are you ready well, i do want to give the spoiler warning Ooh, i mean it's important. not spooky tober anymore so i don't want to scare people but we do have to give a spoiler warning <laughs> oh yes if you if you haven't uh read this and you're listening to the show just just go read it first i don't want to spoil it this is harry potter this is like the holy of holies here we don't want to ruin anything for you. We don't want to kill your enjoyment. Okay. Um, I'll see you, I'll see we you want later, you, we guys. Want you. <laughs> uh, gotta, gotta get out of here. Okay. <laughs> we want you to hashtag keep the secrets. This has been Sham Fiction. <laughs> see you next week. Nope. But we're also not going to give full spoilers because we don't want to drive you of the magic. We're just going to give enough to get Andrew up and running on this. Uh, but yeah, travel Perfect. forward at your own risk. All right, let's do this thing. So, Ooh, please, a- Andrew Neil, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh my gosh! This, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This it takes place in the guess what the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Whoa! So we have places like Hogwarts. We have places like the Ministry of Magic. Uh, anywhere you can think of, it's in here. It's like the greatest hits of Harry Potter. So uh, just to give you some some uh, some basic plot here. Uh, this story takes place 19 years... It starts 19 years after Harry defeated uh, Voldemort. So we basically start this play exactly where the books leave off with that epilogue where an older Harry and Ginny and Hermione and Ron are basically shuffling their kids off onto the Hogwarts Express. And uh, Harry's young son, Albus Severus Potter, is scared that he might get sorted into Slytherin. You remember? You know what I'm talking about, Andrew? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's Slytherin, exactly where we begin. For the two non-Harry Potter listeners in the world, uh, is the evil house. And Gryffindor they're is not, the good house. They're not. No, that's not right <laughs> at all. And I'll fight you about that. But offline. So I'm just going to let that slide. Not a lot. A lot of really bad wizards have come from Slytherin. So obviously he doesn't want to go. But anyway, this this uh, this play jumps around a bunch. We start there, but we we, we kind of rush forward a couple years at a time, uh, and the main plot of this story really kicks off uh, at the beginning of Albus Severus's fourth year at Hogwarts, um, and just so as you know, uh, Albus, unlike his older brother James, did get sorted 
into Slytherin House. What? 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 A That's Potter, the first big spoiler. Whoa. A Potter is a Slytherin. What? That's yeah. crazy. And guess what? Guess who Albus Severus Potter's best friend is? Guess. Oh, guess. Oh, probably just like the offspring of Draco Malfoy. Oh, <laughs> you got it. This thing writes itself. <laughs> you got it. So his best friend is Scorpius Malfoy. Oh, that is a good name. Oh, With a wow. name like Scorpius, he's got to be evil, right? <laughs> uh, guess what? He's like a really kind of lovely kid. He's the sweetest. He's like the sweetest, kindest, smartest, just best human being I think the Harry Potter world has produced. And uh, probably partially because the Malfoys are not a house of like uh, uh, of repute anymore. They were they're known Death Eaters. And guess what? Voldemort was defeated. Spoiler. And uh, <laughs> the Malfoys kind of you know everybody knows that they're kind of nasty people. So uh, Draco kind of raised them to you know be like a decent human being, I guess. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll get I'll get into the characters a little bit more. Uh, the main plot of this thing uh, happens because of a, a lesser character in an earlier book known as Amos Diggory. Do you know who Amos Diggory is, Andrew? Not a clue. <laughs> no, not good. even That's the good. name Diggory. Diggory doesn't bring anything up for you. Diggory. Oh, oh, Cedric Diggory. Also, the known Hufflepuff. <laughs> known Hufflepuff. Yeah. <laughs> Cedric Diggory. You got it. No, that's that's... The, the a lot of this story revolves around Amos Diggory uh, trying, still trying, 26 years after Cedric was killed, spoiler, during the uh, the events of the Goblet of Fire, Cedric or Amos is still trying to get his son Cedric back. Oh my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> and which is crazy. It's like it's like his life just kind of peaked. And then immediately ended with uh, with Cedric being the uh, Hogwarts champion of the Triwizard Tournament. And non Harry Potter fans listening, I'm sorry. There's, <laughs> there's, I can only explain so much. Well, I, I will say I've recently reread the Goblet of Fire, and Amos is the ultimate awful helicopter parent. So. <laughs> He is just the guy who's going to every sporting event saying, my kid's the best. If he loses, then it's the other parent's fault or the ref's fault or whatever. Amos is just aggressively pro-Cedric. Cedric was his life. So yeah. that's why we see him as a sad, shriveled-up old man in the future who only wants to bring his son back. That's all he can think about. Yeah. So, um, so you know, Harry... You know, our good pal Harry Potter. Uh, he is currently the uh, the head of magical law enforcement at the Ministry for Magic. Um, and as part of his job, there was a recent raid at somebody's house. I don't remember the name. But they confiscated <laughs> an illegal time-turner. And please tell me you remember what a time-turner is. Oh, we're going deep here, folks at home. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, the device that uh, Hermione Granger used in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban to get all to get to all of her classes because it reset time to a certain place. Like, she could, if it was 11 o'clock, she could go back to 10 o'clock and do another class. <laughs> you got it. That's exactly right. This time-turner that was confiscated uh, is a little different. It is 
can apparently get you go back any amount of time, not just an hour, but months, years. 26 years? Maybe. (laughs) So, uh... The word gets out that Harry confiscated this thing, even though, you know, it's all hush-hush. Don't tell anybody we have this. Amos Diggory finds out. He starts hassling Harry, like, hey, you gotta let me use that time-turner. I need to go back and save Cedric. Ah. But, uh, but Harry's like, what are you talking about? We didn't, we didn't, there's no time-turner. What do you, <laughs> we, 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 I mean, you'd know if we had a time-turner, right? Am They're I right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so... The fun thing is that uh, Albus overhears this conversation, finds out that his dad does, in fact, have a time-turner somewhere at the ministry, and refuses to help this poor old man get his son back. His son, who only died because of Harry, remember? Well. I mean, <laughs> eh, sort of. You know, they they both won the Triwizard whoa, Tournament whoa, whoa, together. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They like what? Harry didn't like curse the Goblet of Fire or whatever. You know <laughs> that that wasn't him. You but know? look at it from Amos's point of view, Andrew. It was his fault. It was all his fault. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. They both touched the cup. They were both transported to the graveyard where Voldemort came back to life. Said, "Kill the spare," and the spare was killed. <laughs> survivor's guilt oh my gosh yes yeah he should not be alive (laughs) and so many people are dead and he is alive so that's what happens uh but anyway albus uh i I haven't even really talked about these characters so marcus why don't you why don't you kind of give us who our main our main people are before we sure jump in so our main two people are albus severus potter uh, who is in Slytherin, the first Potter ever in Slytherin. And that immediately started to ostracize him. So he feels like he's disappointing his dad, but he also hates being in his dad's shadow. He's not the winning popular kid like his older brother James, who's the spitting image of Harry. Uh, Albus is just the awkward middle child. Even Lily, the younger sister, is succeeding and being friendlier and brighter than Albus. And so he is just in a dark place. If you're a fan of the Harry Potter series, he's very much in that uh, going through the angst of being 14, 15 years old that Harry maybe went through in Order of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And he really latches on to his best friend, Scorpius Malfoy, who uh, is also ostracized, but isn't hurt by it in the same way, right? Because he understands why he's pushed in a corner because he's a Malfoy. Like Eric said earlier, his family is known Death Eaters and the Death Eaters lost. Scorpius is a very studious and thoughtful young man. He, I would kind of think of him if you're looking at the original series as sort of a cross between Neville Longbottom and Hermione Granger. So he's got all the brains, but he's also humble and very sweet like Neville is and willing to keep to himself. And so these two just become the best friends in the world, and their relationship is the center of this story. Uh, They are what makes this play work. They're the heart of it. Um, Scorpius has this cute little crush on Rose Granger Weasley, the daughter of (laughs) 
Ron and Hermione, who's barely mentioned in the play. Uh, and Albus also starts having his first crush, which we'll introduce that character in a moment. Yeah. Um, so it's just that, that wonderful time of developing who you are as a person, and both of these people have huge shadows cast over them that influences them throughout the play. Oh, but you know what else is fun about uh, Scorpius and why oh, yes. he is perhaps <laughs> ostracized at school? For whatever reason... Uh, the the wizarding world of Harry Potter just loves a nasty rumor. They and are rumor mongers. They're gossips. They really are. And there is like the nastiest rumor of all associated with Scorpius. And what is that? That rumor is that Draco and his wife Astoria were unable to conceive, and they used an illegal time turner to travel back in time so that. None other than Lord Voldemort himself could impregnate Astoria Malfoy. And Scorpius Malfoy is the unholy, cursed even, child of Lord Voldemort and Astoria Malfoy. And so it's a completely ridiculous rumor, and Harry, as the head of magical law enforcement, even says this is ridiculous, but it keeps coming up. And when something is said often enough, people start to believe that there might be a truth to it, even fear that there might be a truth to it. So, is Scorpius Malfoy Voldemort's son? He doesn't think so. But we don't really know going into this what the reality of that situation is. Yeah. So, these two, who are kind of ostracized, they're living in their father's shadows, especially Albus, uh, he decides, uh, as they're on the Hogwarts Express, heading to their fourth year at at school, uh, he decides that uh he's gonna he's gonna uh, he's gonna go on his own adventure and that adventure is specifically to spite his father yep by helping out amos diggory get cedric back they they leap off the train they escape they uh albus and scorpius go meet amos diggory and also meet uh amos's niece and caretaker another character uh named delphi is it Delphi or Delphi? It would probably be Delphi, like the Oracle of Delphi. That's what I assume. All right, so Delphi, I think last name Diggory, something like that, is the aforementioned uh, crush of Albus. Albus immediately ta- takes a shining to her. She's like 22 or something, but that don't stop him. You know, <laughs> that's fine. Um, and they uh, they decide they're going to steal this time turner and help out uh, Amos and get that uh, get that that Cedric boy back. And that's kind of our adventure. Yeah, that's what kicks it off. It took a long time to get there, but, you know, it's Harry Potter. There's a lot of ground <laughs> to cover. And there's so much wonderful detail in this story as well, uh, because it introduces these new characters it deals with the updated future versions of the characters that we love and there's a time travel element which who knows what that can introduce yeah i mean the time travel it's it's dangerous i mean i'm not going to get into details on how they're going to get cedric back using the time turner um but i guess i will spoil a little bit to say that they're going to be visiting some moments that we know from the Harry Potter book series, which is where I think it kind of starts to feel a little fan fiction for me, at least. Okay. Sure. 
Um, so really quickly, because we only have like a minute left uh, on our on our own person, a little timer. Um, <laughs> we, our own we can time, time turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just to let you know, some updates. We told you that Harry is now the head of magical law enforcement. Not the best dad in the world. Doesn't really uh, understand Albus Severus the way a, a good father should. So there's you know there's some trouble there. Uh, his wife Ginny is still Ginny. Uh, she's a writer for um the daily prophet she writes in the sports section um hermione everybody's favorite hermione granger is now the minister for magic <gasps> what, what? she exciting. is the brightest witch of her age uh, after all. she deserves <laughs> it uh and her husband ron weasley uh runs weasley's wizard wheezes now uh runs so the joke shop runs the joke shop uh draco i don't really know what he does anymore he's still just rich and yeah. uh, now and unfortunately uh the astoria his wife uh, a couple years before the this this part she dies very sad oh no uh, so scorpius's mom is dead yeah kind of a dampener damp damper uh and then uh there's there's uh amos diggory who's just old and kind of crazy and uh, lastly, that Delphi, who's uh, just kind of cool and hip, in between. <laughs> uh, she's got a she's got a cool bird tattoo. Uh, I don't know much about her visually. I didn't pick up on much. I don't know what the actress looks like, so I don't know. She's just kind of cool, and she helps Scorpius and uh, Albus with the timey wimey stuff. Hey, she's I just kind of the there as a more very capable. Punk rock. Yeah, I get that too. But she is like the uh, a bit older, so she's more capable. She's more magicy. She she is basically uh, sidekicking for Albus and Scorpius as yeah. they try to accomplish their goals. So um, when they're going the on these adv- when they're going yeah. on these adventures, is Amos along with them, or is it just <laughs> is it just the three of them? A- Amos is decrepit and okay. and uh, can barely move around. Yeah. Okay, uh, he's in like a wheelchair and stuff. And okay. he's, he's in this excellent, crazy wizard's old folks home, which is just lovely. Where <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, the description is that like they just do magic for the fun of it, so it's just the most magical place ever. Uh, it's not magic for a purpose; it's just doing cool stuff all the time. It's because they're they they're so old that they can just do whatever they want. No one's gonna say boo. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh yeah. So uh, tone of this piece, it's kind of dark. Like there yeah. are fun moments, but it's it's dark. This is a, a story about kids who are just like totally disenfranchised by uh, by the world around them, and uh, they're not getting along with their family. It's there's just a lot of drama happening, and everybody's sad. This is it's really about fathers and sons. I would say more oh, yeah. more than anything else. Uh, Harry not having grown up with a father struggling with what it means now to be a father is really central here still having these almost uh ptsd type flashbacks to his life at the dursleys and to what it was like going through these tragedies that he faced as a child oh man i like forgot about that yeah there's this whole thing like the play spends a lot of time actually with harry um i mean we we get a lot of of what's happening with albus and scorpius but it does spend a lot of time with harry and he's having like these nightmares where uh we keep being reminded like voldemort's voice kind of fills 
fills the theater saying Harry Potter. Yeah. Just to kind of spook everybody out, I guess. Well, he was Harry was just routinely abused as a child. Yeah. You know, and they they make no qualms about saying that the life treatment at the Dursleys was child abuse and yeah. that he was being attacked uh, in psychological and physical ways throughout his education as well. Uh, yep, and, and he then was with, raised to die. With Malfoy, too. Uh, there's this lovely sentiment. I'm not sure if it's the exact line, but at one point he says it's very lonely. It was very lonely being Draco Malfoy. Uh, wow. And it just gets into that, you know, what impact our parents have on us and how that can affect the next generation as well. Uh, Word. Yeah. So I, that's it. for the. I think that's all we, we can give you. I know it's a lot. And a lot of rambly business, I apologize. We but just I get, get excited, so excited about the Potter. Uh-huh. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think, Andrew? How do you feel? Well, it sounds like I'm just supposed to kind of dive into this adventure with uh, Albus, Scorpius, and Delphi. Um, traveling through time and trying to mm-hmm. save save uh, Cedric. And you get to choose the destination. The time turner is in your court, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the other thing, very important thing, before we get to bonus points, is that this play is presented in two parts. Yes. Okay. Two parts. Um, meant to be seen either on the same day or like subsequent evenings. You go see part one one day, next day you go back and see part two. Uh, Interesting. So we were thinking, wouldn't it be fun if Andrew wrote a two-part sham fiction? What? What? Guys, I was not privy to this information ahead of time <laughs> at all. I am, I am shocked. You will earn <laughs> 10 points for Hufflepuff if you do. All right, I'll do it. Wait <laughs> yeah, a second. Good. Wait a second. Yeah, you checked him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, two parts. And um, if you're gonna do two parts, which which you totally are, uh, uh, Marcus, how do how do you think that should play out? What's part one? What's part two? So part one is the adventure back in time, right? So you travel back to a point in the series that we know and love. This is our largest license to be fan fictiony. Uh, and at the end of that. You travel back to the altered future, which in classic Back to the Future Part 2 fashion is not going to be as good as you hoped. Uh, So part one is travel back in time. Part two is escape from the darkest timeline. Try to fix it. Yeah, try to fix it. So show us what the impact was from whatever you changed in the past. And feel free to make the uh, the time turner because it's experimental and bootleg have some unfortunate properties. Make, uh, make really, it's a it, it can do whatever you want. It's just yeah. a tool to help you tell the story. Yeah. So it is uh, it is super super powered magic for your enjoyment and ours. Yes. Yay! So what and do you think? We expect both of these in this episode. So after you come back. We'll let you, you know, write for maybe six minutes this time instead of five. Oh, gosh, <laughs> thank very, you. I need that nice. extra time. And, uh, yeah, then we want to hear both parts. We're super excited. All right. Yeah, bo- so, bonus points. So, no, just so just to be clear, oh, yeah. this, Please is, clarify. this is uh, Harry Potter, Back to the Future, and Harry Potter, Back to the Future 2. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, pretty much. That's no, it's, it's really just Harry Potter it's Back really to the Future 2. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing's 2. So, like, part 1 is travel back in time and you change the thing. And then you travel back to the future. But then, oh, crud, Biff had the magazine. And that's ruined everything. And now he's Donald Trump. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. known, known Death Eater. <laughs> so, bonus points. Bonus uh, points. Mine is... I don't want to say too much specific to plot because I really want you to do whatever you want. But uh, in this story, Hermione Granger is a total BA. She, well, she always has been. She's a butt kicker. She's uh, she's just like the best. She and she she has a lot of uh, a lot of real hardcore moments. And so my uh, bonus point is just give me the best Hermione moment you can. Either she just walks in and just, like, takes control and says, nah, y'all are dumb. Check this out. Or performs some sort of super-duper magic. Just something cool from Hermione Granger, our favorite of the Grangers. Yeah, uh, this is a little different for me. (laughs) Yeah, well, just because your girlfriend's a Granger doesn't mean Hermione isn't the best. Hermione's great. Marcus? All right, my bonus points is give me the saddest possible moment. Give me something that just hits me in the heart and then takes that heart and throws it on the ground and is all like, Crucio to the heart. Oh, gosh, don't do that. And the heart says, no mercy, mercy. And then you go, all right, mercy, Avada Kedavra to the heart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. And then you put it back in, and then you're like, Reparo, but it can't fully repair, so the heart's never the same again. (laughs) That's what I want. I want the saddest darn thing. That was the saddest. Because I teared up a couple times reading this. I I, I, I teared up just listening to your description right there. Oh, Lord. (laughs) All right. My goodness, this is quite the challenge, gentlemen, and I hope I can... uh, I hope I can sufficiently entertain you with this. I believe in you. Oof, 12, 12 inches on this parchment. Uh, all written. <laughs> no quick quotes, quills. All by hand. <laughs> oh, Beautiful. Man. <laughs> all right. Get to it. All right. I'm off, guys. We will see you in a bit. Hey, podcast people. If you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. Okay, Marcus, uh, Andrew is writing uh, hopefully a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh my gosh, I'm so Uh, excited. Uh, me, me too. But let's, you know, we'll, let's keep this a little bit quick because you know what? There, are t- if there are two parts, I suspect we will get the chance to do a second prediction segment after part one, betwixt the You're two parts. You're predicting another will. prediction segment. That's I'm tricky. Predicting another prediction. That's tricky. I like it. Isn't it? It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, kind of magical in a way. Trust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what do you think we're gonna see from Andrew Neal? Uh, so, my first prediction is Hagrid. I want to see the <gasps> Jolly Giant. We didn't really talk about him. I agree. I don't, I don't even know if we mentioned him. 
because he's not no. a big part of this, but I no. want to see some Hagrid. That'd be good. That'd be good. Um, I'm predicting that we are going to get some really advanced magic from some very young children. Ooh. Like, I want to see these fourth years busting out casual Patronuses. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, these are like fourth year characters. I want some stuff that's just way beyond them. Because it's hard to I reset, want, I, right? It's hard to go back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, Harry, he could do a Patronus when he was like 10. Sure, because he was hanging out with Lupin for an, a year of studies. But you know what? These kids don't have that. So I just, I want to see some research. Yeah. You know, like Andrew went back, he found some spells, but then he just gave them to the absolutely wrong characters. Yeah. Like, they just have way too good magic. They're just, like, super superheroes. So, so yeah. Actually, I, I want to add to that as a, as a prediction yeah. here. I want to see one of the, the most popular spells. So either Expelliarmus or oh, yeah. Stupefy okay. or Wingardium Leviosa. Oh. Any of those. And I should mention this. You weren't, you weren't here for this during Scream Week. Uh, but I uh-huh. gave Andrew bonus points. At that time, for being able to name all three Hobbit movies, which might explain why it took so long for that prediction segment. He, he named all three Hobbit movies, so he got bonus points for this episode? Yeah, you know, I, I had to give him incentive. Gave him we, a little pre-bonus. Should we bring him back in? Let's bring him back in. Okay. Hey, guys. Can I be honest with you? Of Start course you can, Gubna. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> What's it you want to say to us? Oh, th- thanks, Dick. Watch her. Uh, watch her. <laughs> watch her, Harry. You guys, you guys are making me feel a lot better. You want a bag because... out of the mouth? Oh, <laughs> this this is for to the no. <laughs> Some kippers. Uh, guys, I'm I'm nervous. I'm I'm nervous. This is this is a big deal, guys. This is Harry Potter, and oof. I don't know. Two-parters. There's a lot of pressure. There, there's a lot riding on this. Look, J.K. Rowling. Did you, did you write? Did you write two parts? I did. I wrote two parts. Yay! Yay! That was your assignment to me, guys. Well, it, was, not, it was the gonna, challenge. It was it. the challenge. It was the stretch goal. Oh, I did it. I did it. Excellent. Yay! Uh, then you already got all the points. Let's just hear it. Okay. Pressure's off now. <laughs> okay. Whew, good. That's that's gone. The other thing, and you guys made me feel a little bit better about this part. Um, What's that then? <laughs> I'm terrible at British accents. I cannot do them. What? Well, compared, what? You compared to what we is for how good we is at speaking, like we're from England. Of what? course, what? you sound terrible. I can terrible. understand that then. I can understand that because you hear two guys like us who are just excellent <laughs> at, at English accents. The people at home, they're listening. And then he's like, I they're listening to the same way that Marcus and Eric go. That's what they're saying. They're having a bit if of a fight. They're still listening. A bit of a they, they, they've shut it, this off. Guys, be honest. They've shut this off. <laughs> This is uh, well. You know, we'll have a good time with that. I tell you what, Andrew, I did Downton Abbey a while ago. This was before I I spent my time in England, learning Mm -hmm. to do a spot-on accent. You know, and uh, it was very (laughs) difficult because there's so many characters. So yes, just don't do the accent. Maybe have like one British character at best. (laughs) But uh, if it's Alan Rickman, just you know, do it, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. (laughs) Yes, there you go. You got it. Just all the characters. I'm Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, this is going to be long because this is two parts. 
I think maybe we should get into it. Yeah, we're going to do <laughs> a prediction. We'll give you a little break after part one. We'll oh, I appreciate a, that. A second I'm going to need segment. it. I'm going to need to take a drink of water. Please. All right. Then death. Okay, here get, we go. Get on with it. All right, this is... That's good. Set the mood. Set the mood. John Williams music. Here we go. This is Andrew Neal's rendition of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Part one. The Red Letter Day. Oh. Bloody hell. Delphi (laughs) cursed. Potter's report was not what she wanted to hear. You certain you checked the entire east side? Yes, Delphi, Potter affirmed with an exasperated sigh that only frustrated her more. We walked the east end of the high street up and down. Honeydukes, Zonkos, there was no sign of him. (laughs) Perhaps he didn't come on this visit. Malfoy mused softly. The white-haired boy was seated on the dusty floor across the room, shivering. He had his knees pulled to his chest, as if trying to make himself as small as possible. Perhaps he took ill? He added. Delphi groaned and began to pace the room, which helped to to both work off her frustration and keep her warm. Malfoy could have been right. She had no evidence to be certain that her cousin attended this particular Hogsmeade visit in the February of 1992. (laughs) However, Hmm. after several failed attempts to make contact between multiple times and locations, she did believe such a trip would be the best opportunity. How about we go to the three broomsticks, Potter suggested. We can grab some butterbeers and wait for him. He's bound to turn up. Everybody goes there. I second that idea, Malfoy added with a shiver. This place is creepy. And drafty. (laughs) It's not that creepy, Scorpius, Potter disputed. It's just old. My dad said people thought it was haunted back in his day. People would hear screams and howls coming from inside. It just turned out to be Remus Lupin, my dad's werewolf friend. He'd come here once a month to transform. (laughs) So you're saying a werewolf might stop by later? Malfoy asked. Lovely. I feel much better. No, Scorpius, that was... (laughs) Boys! Delphi shouted, getting their attention. She had stopped pacing and now stood between them in the room. Can we shut it about werewolves and get back to something important? Their short attention spans frequently reminded her of their age. The same her cousin would be around this time. I made a suggestion, Potter said, (laughs) raising his hands apologetically. We can go to the three broomsticks and drink butterbeer, Delphi asked sharply, throwing her arms up. Is that the real reason you two ran away from school? Why even go back in time, then? Delphi, we spent all morning looking for him, Potter stated. We didn't see him. It's not a large village. He probably isn't here. We could have missed him, she replied firmly. There are a lot of kids in black robes out there. But you charmed those photographs of him to wave at us if he was nearby, and mine never did. Hmm. Neither did mine, Malfoy added softly. Good idea, though. So maybe that charm isn't as powerful as I'd hoped, Delphi said, producing a, f- producing a photo of her cousin from her jacket pocket. She didn't know why she got it out. She'd looked at it enough to memorize every detail. In the photo, he stood up straight and tall. In his left arm, he cradled a large trophy. She believed it was for some kind of summer Quidditch program. While his right was wrapped around the shoulders of his father, her uncle, Amos. The older man looked absolutely giddy, with a grin extended from ear to ear. Her cousin's smile was of a different kind. Softer, warmer, more humble. Growing up, Delphi had heard countless stories from her uncle of her cousin's accomplishments. Anytime she'd accomplished something herself, 
Amos would relate it back to something her cousin did. In her uncle's mind, his son was a winner. A hero. Hell, a bloody titan, she thought. <laughs> even, Albus Dumbledore said, even Albus Dumbledore said so himself at the end, Amos would recount. Delphi could see that person in the photograph. The winner, the hero. Now she had the chance to meet him. The one to whom she'd com been compared all her life. She was ready to be impressed. She turned to Potter. We're going back out. Potter deflated and shook his head. There are other opportunities, Delphi, he pleaded. We have the time turner. Let's try a different time. Preferably warmer? Malfoy <laughs> added with a hint of a smile. Enough, she shouted, causing the boys to jump. It surprised her a little, too, but she went with it. We've tried other times, and we failed every time. I'm going out there to do what we came here to do. I'm going to find him. She started toward the door of the room. But Delphi, Potter began. No, she said as she shouldered past him. Just go enjoy your butterbeer. She didn't turn around to see their reactions to that last barb. She didn't care. They didn't have the commitment, nor the connection to see this task through. She saw that now. This was hers to complete. She took a left out of the room and started stomping down the stairs. She was only three steps from the bottom when she stomped a bit too hard, and the rotten board under her boot buckled completely. She fell forward, yelping with surprise. Instinctively, she drew her wand and waved it in a circular motion. Reducto momentum, she shouted, <laughs> and her fall slowed. The spell allowed her the time to reposition herself midair and come to a light stop on her feet on the bottom landing. She groaned in frustration and gave her wand a slow twirl, allowing her body to move at a regular speed again. She cursed and pounded her fist against the wall. She realized then that she still clenched the photo of her cousin and uncle in her hand. It had been crumpled by her grip. Then she saw the figure. A man stood a few meters to her right, framed by the open front door. He was silhouetted by the daylight, wand drawn. Delphi reacted. Expelliarmus! She shouted, sending her wand, opponent's wand flipping into the air. She immediately followed up with her next move. Akio wand! The loose wand zipped through the air toward her. She dropped the crumpled nice. photograph and caught the wand, turning it on its owner. It was Cedric. She froze huh. at the sight of him. For a second she forgot where she was, and considered the possibility that this place may actually be haunted with the spirit of her fallen cousin. Hmm. Then her wits returned. She was in the past, nearly three decades before her own time. This wasn't a specter. This wasn't a photograph. This was reality, no matter how unreal. She considered him, eyes wide in surprise, hands up in surrender, mouth agape. Please, he said with a shiver. Delphi took a deep breath, trying to relax. Do something, she thought. Say something. Sorry, mate. She said, throwing, lowering both wands. You frightened me, is all. I, uh, frightened you, he asked, followed by a laugh of discomfort. He didn't relax his stance. I'm about to bloody fate. A slight smile curled on Del Delphi's lips. Please don't, she said. I'd rather avoid an awkward conversation with one of your professors. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Potter and Malfoy poking their heads out of the door upstairs. She sent a quick glare in their direction filled with a crack of her neck. They retreated into the room. She turned back to Cedric, who remained frozen in fear. Don't worry, she assured him, stowing her wand inside her jacket and presenting his. I mean you no harm. She watched as Cedric glanced from her to his wand and back, 
clearly still frightened to proceed. Delphi groaned and walked forward. Just take your wand, mate, she said, slapping it into his right hand. This caused him to flinch, but then he closed his hand around the wand. Uh, the thanks, he struggled to say, studying her now that they were close. His eyes lingered a tad too long for her liking. Is there a problem? She asked. No, no, he said, looking downward and taking a step back. I'm sorry, I just... I've never... Never what? She asked. Well, um... Your, uh... Hair is just a bit different, he managed to say. <laughs> she smirked at this and remembered that her faded purple hair, shaved on the one side, eyebrow piercings, and bleached gen denim jacket might be striking to this clean-cut kid from 1992. She usually casts a spell to veil, veil her appearance. Then she noted how he continued to look at her and felt, a, and felt her smirk wane. It was the same kind of doe-eyed look she'd been getting off and on from Potter. Only this kid is your cousin, she thought. Ooh. Oh, bloody hell, she cursed, turning and walking away. <laughs> oh dear, she heard Cedric say. Did I offend you? I'm terribly sorry if I did. <sighs> what are you doing in here, kid? She asked as she walked into the conservatory at the rear of the house, where dead vines clung to the broken glass of the outer walls. She turned as Cedric entered the room. He stepped on a shard of glass on the floor, which caused him to stop and grimace. Oh dear, he said with worry in his voice, as if further shattering the already shattered glass were some kind of vandalism. Well? She prodded with a challenging look. Well, what? He asked. What are you doing here? She repeated. Oh, he acknowledged before hesitating. His expression grew grim. He hung his head and crossed his arms. It's... it's stupid. I'm sure it is, she replied. <laughs> he paused before answering, taking a long moment to look at everything around the room except her. I, I was, uh... dared. My mates dared me. This, this place is supposedly haunted. The, the most haunted house in Britain, they say. Do they? She asked, feigning ignorance. Cedric cocked his head at this. You mean you don't know? She shrugged in return. Should I? Well, do you live around here? No. Oh. Where do you, uh, where are you from? She thought for a moment if she should tell him. She knew there were certain things she shouldn't, but this didn't seem like one of them. She'd keep it vague, anyway. London, she said. Me too, he exclaimed, <laughs> perking up. Great, you and a few others, she said dryly. <laughs> she watched him clench his teeth and slump his shoulders at this, as if only now struck by how uncool he was being. He was clearly a few ways, excuse me, he was clearly a few years away from being the wit and charmer some had claimed him to be. Delphi relaxed and started wandering around the windowed room. So, let me get this right. You're breaking into an allegedly haunted house in the middle of the day to prove to your friends how brave you are? She punctuated this by throwing him a wry smile. Cedric tensed. Yeah he said, trailing off and averting his gaze to the dirty panes of the ceiling above. Delphi absently snapped a dry lock of vine and twisted it between her fingers. Is that important to you? She asked. He turned back to her. What's that? Is it important to you that your friends know you're brave? Cedric shrugged. I suppose. That's it? Delphi asked, throwing him a judging glance. You suppose? 
I mean, I guess. You guess, Delphi stopped pacing. (laughs) I don't know, Cedric exclaimed. What do you want me to say? I want you to tell me what you bloody think, you lunk. (laughs) I don't really think... uh, You don't really think, huh? Well, that's become obvious. Wait now, hold on. I can think. Can you now? Well, you're fooling me. Just stop, Cedric shouted, holding his hands up. Please, no more. I don't want this. Delphi sighed and tossed the dry piece of vine to the floor. You're just one of those boring good boys who always does as he's told. The the words came quickly, without a moment's thought, and more coldly than she had intended. Cedric deflated. His arms sunk back to his sides, and his eyes went to the floor. Sorry, Delphi said, realizing how much of a mess she'd made of this interaction. The whole reason that they'd gone to all the trouble. Maybe they could just try another time, as Potter suggested. Maybe I should go, she said. You can just tell your friends you saw a ghost. Cedric was still looking at the floor. Delphi sighed and walked past him to the conservatory door. Wait. She stopped and turned around. Cedric hadn't moved and he didn't look at her as he continued to speak. I haven't been entirely honest, I'm afraid. He sighed deeply. You see, I'm a chaser for my house Quidditch team. It's my first year on the team, not in school. I tried out every year before, but I never made the cut. I remember writing my dad afterward. Each time I failed, he'd, um, he'd send me, uh, a howler. Delphi felt felt her stomach Hmm. sink. Cedric continued. They'd come in the morning post when I was at breakfast in the Great Hall. I'd be sitting with my friends, and suddenly an owl would drop that terrible red envelope in front of me. In front of my friends. Cedric sniffed and quickly wiped his face. As he continued, his voice began to crack. I didn't even... I didn't even want to be on the bloody... No, no, that's not it. I love Quidditch, but... But he made me not want to. Cedric's eyes were now full of tears. Delphi felt her own tears run down her face. She stepped forward slowly and embraced her cousin. He accepted it, wrapping his arms lightly around her in return. He weeped quietly on her shoulder for a while, even though they just met... She didn't feel uncomfortable being there. It felt as if she'd always been there for him. You can ask questions, Delphi said softly. And you can say no. It's hard, but... She trailed off and leaned back, meeting the boy's tear-filled eyes. She smiled and rubbed his shoulders. Can you do that? Cedric wiped his eyes and nodded. Yes. He then reached into his robes and produced a red letter. Delphi felt the anger well inside her at the sight of it, but she also realized something. You didn't come here in here on a dare, she said. Cedric shook his head. She briefly wondered what this one was for, and whether she'd ever felt so angry at an inanimate object. Cedric then dropped the letter on the floor, retrieved his wand, and pointed it at the letter. 
Incendio, he whispered, and the letter went up in a quick blaze until it was nothing but ash. They both stared at it for a moment, neither speaking. Delphi then glanced up at Cedric, who didn't meet her eyes. He continued to stare at the ash. It was clear to Delphi that plenty of thoughts were darting through his mind, so she turned to leave. Wait, Cedric said. Delphi turned back to him. His eyes were red, but clear of tears. Who are you? he asked. What are you doing in here? Delphi smiled warmly at her little older cousin. <laughs> you see, Cedric, she began. Now you're starting to ask the right bloody questions. And with that, she apparated away. End of part one. <gasps> hey. Whoa. Oh, scamper on out of yeah, here. Get out of here. Marcus and I need to talk we about it. Bye. There's things. Bye. Bye. Uh, I have no idea where this is going to go. Did they succeed? Was I don't that know. all it took to, to keep him alive? Is he now going to say, no, I don't want to put my name in the Goblet of Fire? Is that the so, the change that's going to happen? At first, I was really thinking, you know, trying to figure that I was 92 and I did the math and I figured Segretic must be in his fifth year. He's 15. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, because maybe she's trying to get him to change houses with the bravery thing, the smarts thing. But then, yeah, he's 15, so that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, and then he just told the saddest, sweetest story about Cedric and trying to live up to the biggest jerk this side of Umbridge in the Harry Potter series. Yeah, I like that it became about that relationship between that Delphi's expectations about Cedric versus what she actually saw and... And that kind of took over over the mission that they were supposed to be on. Yeah, and you know, Cedric just those howlers in the Shrieking Shack was such a beautiful use of the fantastic elements in the series. Absolutely. So, for this part two, I I'm going to assume that whatever happens, they don't save Cedric. I mean, we can't we can't change the uh the canon anyway but i'm thinking maybe delphi just like says screw it we're done here they go back to the present and finds that 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 pep talk has uh has created i don't know some alternate reality but i don't know what that could have done well we, we told him that there's got to be the darkest timeline so yeah. i'm thinking what if cedric murders amos Kills his Kills dad. Kills his dad. Little fratric- or, uh, patricide. That is dark as hell. Yeah. What if? Ooh, that's what if good. that's the push? Uh, ugh, I don't know. I I can't possibly come up with anything yeah. darker than that. So, uh, do you think he's had enough time to breathe? Should we have him continue with part two? I think it's of, it's uh, the time. Yeah, the cursed child. Good. We can't we well, can't uh, tell him that we liked any of it though. No, that would be Gotta that would play be unfair. It cool until he's finished. Uh-huh. You guys are playing it cool, huh? Oh no, you're here. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. You guys are playing it so cool. So cool. So I wasn't cool. listening at all during that last bit. I swear. Yeah. No. Are you? Uh, are you ready with part two? I am. Are you? <laughs> you ah. tell us. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> Part 2. Above the Broomstick Shop Upon their return, the present didn't seem much different from how they'd left it. 
Delphi and her young companion spent the train ride back to London scoring the profit for all the most current events, but everything seemed in place. Lord Voldemort had been defeated, Hermione Weasley Granger was Minister of Magic, and the English had recently won their third consecutive Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> After reading the paper front to back twice, Delphi went to the dining car to ask a few witches and wizards an important question. Do you know Cedric Diggory? Nobody did. Though one which knew her uncle, Amos. Poor man, she remarked without further explanation. Poor man indeed, Delphi thought with a pang of anger. The tear-filled eyes and labored words of her cousin were still fresh in her mind. Nothing seemed changed about the present, except Delphi's thoughts on her uncle. Amos Diggory was catatonic. His wife, Delphi's aunt, had positioned his wheelchair to face a window looking out into the park below. When Delphi first entered her uncle's study, he did not turn to see her. When she said his name, he did not reply. When she touched his shoulder, he did not react. Delphi knelt down beside him. She noticed how his eyes would move, but not in her direction. They'd only drift from the window to the floor and back. This was not the state in which she'd left him. Amos had been weak of body, but he'd been able to supplement that with magic. The Diggory home had always been alive with magic, a perpetual cycle of spells anticipating the Diggory's every need, even some they didn't expect. Now the house was still, and dark, and quiet. As much as she'd wanted to, Delphi couldn't bring herself to confront her uncle with the anger she'd been harboring. What good will it do? She thought, rising to her feet and wandering to Amos's desk. She had often helped her uncle sort his mail. Despite magical assistance, he was dreadfully unorganized when it came to his desk. The pile of letters she found there was a familiar sight, but then she saw the picture frame. It had been placed face down on the desk, and a few letters lay atop it, not quite masking it completely from view. She pushed the letters aside, picked up the frame, and looked at the picture within. She gasped. Her heart began to pound. Albus! Scorpius! She yelled. The boys appeared at the door to the study. They'd been waiting outside. What is it? Potter asked. Delphi presented the picture to them. More changed than we thought, she replied. Before they'd gone back in time, ownership of broomsticks on Diagon Alley had been in a constant state of, state of flux. Delphi frequented the place to window shop, and whoever the current owner was would give her a hard time for not buying anything. She'd curbed their frustrations by purchasing handle polish or replacement twigs for her vintage Nimbus 5000. <laughs> Even after countless visits, she'd never been up to the flat above the shop, where the owners often lived. She'd never been friendly enough with any of them to be invited up for tea. Now, after returning from the past, she was confident this owner would be pleased to have her calling albeit unannounced. As she knocked on the flat's door, Delphi's thoughts vacillated between excitement and panic. She wondered if it was a mistake to tell Potter and Malfoy to stay behind. Soon she heard footsteps approaching on the other side of the door. Don't mess this up, don't mess this up, she thought on repeat. Then the door opened, and there he was. Again. Cedric Diggory. Ha! Ah. 
Delphi had been around magic her entire life. She'd seen some of the most power wiz- powerful wizards of her time perform feats of stunning brilliance. But nothing compared to the first fleeting instant she looked upon her full-grown cousin in that doorway. Alive. But that immediate wonder waned when she had a moment to consider him. The young man she'd seen in the past and in photographs was barely recognizable. This Cedric's eyes had bags underneath them. His face was unshaven. The England Quidditch World Cup Champions 2016 shirt he wore fit snugly around his, across his round belly. He seemed tired, and not just the kind of tired one feels after a full day's work. It took a moment of recognition to peer on Cedric's face. When it did, he too seemed a little stunned to see her. Delphi? he asked. He ne- she never thought she'd hear his name out of his mouth. She opened her own mouth to reply, but words didn't come. All she could do was nod. Huh, Cedric began. I hardly recognize you, cuz. You changed your hair so much. <laughs> Delphi absolutely ran a hand through her hair. <laughs> she chuckled with a shrug. Yeah, y- you know me. As she said it, she wondered how well he really did know her. Unlike their meeting in the past, Cedric had the upper hand here. She didn't have the knowledge of their shared past. Yeah, Cedric affirmed, trailing off. He seemed to be wrapping his mind around this interaction as well. He shook his head. Bloody hell, I'm sorry. Please, come in. As she entered and looked around, she was quickly struck by how similar the cozy flat reminded her of somewhere else she'd been recently. Her uncle's study. The flat was dark and fairly empty, save for basic furniture. A couch, a chair, a simple dining room set. Delphi noted that there were no pictures on the walls or counters. On the dining table, Cedric had a broom laid out, which it seemed he'd been working on. Do you know what it is? Cedric asked. Sure, Delphi replied without hesitation. A clean sweep 13. You always make it look so easy, Cedric said, smiling a bit and shaking his head. Delphi shrugged. You can tell by the nose, she explained. The 13s is distinct among the clean sweep series. Too blocky for my taste, not a great racer. (laughs) Agreed, Cedric stated. I'm not too fond of it either. Why are you fixing it then? She asked. That thing's ancient. And that's what makes it worth fixing, he replied. Vintage is in, cuz. Folks indulging their nostalgia, you should know that as well as anyone. How's that Nimbus holding up? (laughs) Fine, she said. The binding probably needs to be replaced, but who's got the coin for that? He finished. She turned turned to him, unable to hide the surprise on her face. He chuckled. What? It's the same excuse you always use. Delphi suddenly realized how easy she'd fallen into conversation with him. Cedric made her comfortable, like close family would. Again, she thought of the magic behind the situation and how powerful it must be. Would she get new memories? Would it change her? Or would she always remember the world that was? The world without Cedric Diggory in it? Then she thought of her uncle. So... If you aren't here about your broom... What brings you here? Cedric asked, as if segueing off her own thoughts. She realized the small talk portion of the conversation was over and felt her gut tighten. Here we go, she thought, taking a deep breath. Cedric, she began, I'm here because, um, 
because of Uncle Amos. Any warmth that had been on Cedric's face evaporated. His tired eyes darkened as his brow furrowed. What about him? He asked pointedly. Delphi instantly began to second-guess going through this, through with this, but the cat was out of the bag. He, uh, he's not doing so. Not my problem, Cedric interjected. Whatever it is. Why? The question slipped out before Delphi could help herself. Cedric's pain regarding the subject was obvious. She could see how he tensed as she said it. Oh, you're making a mess of this again, she thought. Why what? Cedric challenged. Delphi hesitated. Every impulse told her not to push. But then she thought of the boy she'd met in Hogsmeade and what she'd told him. Why won't you go to him? Delphi asked. Cedric didn't respond so quickly this time. He studied her. She wasn't sure what to make of it, but then he spoke. You should know, he stated, adopting a more serious tone. Keep going, she urged herself. Cedric, if I knew, I wouldn't be asking. He let out a sarcastic laugh and shook his head. That's really how you're going to play this? Play what? Delphi asked. She really had no idea what he was on about. Cedric stared at her expectantly for a moment, sighed, and then turned and stomped over to the flat's meager kitchen. There, he opened a drawer and removed what looked like a small piece of paper. He looked at it a moment, and then held it out towards Delphi. Look, he ordered. The darkness in his voice worried her. Even so, Delphi walked up slowly and took the paper from Cedric's hand. It was an old photograph. She recognized it immediately. She had looked at it enough to memorize every detail. Her Uncle Amos, his ridiculous grin, the impressive trophy, and her youthful cousin, Cedric, the winner, the hero, the bloody titan. She looked up to her full-grown cousin standing before her, tired, angry, broken. That trophy in the photo, he began, I remember the tournament it's from. My team didn't win. Oh no, Delphi thought. What have I done? Cedric, she began, you just got back, didn't you? He asked heatedly. <laughs> Delphi's venison began to blur its tears welled in her eyes. Cedric, I, your hair is the same as it was that day, and it's always different. I recognize you. Please, why were you there? Said, what did you do, Delphi? He pressed, taking a step forward. What did you do to my life? I can't tell you, Delphi shouted as tears ran down her face. I can't. Cedric backed away and pounded a fist on a cupboard in frustration. The unseen dishes inside rattled from the impact. Delphi, he began, his, so his voice soft and tense. You went back and messed with my life. I just, in just the last few minutes, from the moment I opened that door, it's all come back. The shrieking shack, the howler, you. You owe me an explanation. Delphi looked at her cousin through teary eyes. She thought back to before she, Potter, and Malfoy first used the time-turner. What had they wanted? Why had they chosen to go to such lengths? 
Delphi wiped the tears from her eyes so that she could see her cousin more clearly. He was standing there, with her, in that room. He was angry, he was confused, but he was there. Cedric, she began. I can't tell you about the time before. Delphi, you please, she urged, fighting back more tears. Cedric paused for a moment, considering how to respond. Finally, he nodded. I, I don't know what's happened between you and Uncle Amos, she said. I don't know if it took one big act or a thousand little ones. What I saw that day we met in Hogsmeade, what you showed me, how you... It made me so mad. I can't imagine feeling like that every day. She saw Cedric's expression lighten. She wiped new tears from her eyes and continued. But now I've seen you and Uncle Amos across... Uh, across two... two lives. And yes, there's pain in both... But right here, in this life, she trailed off. In that moment, she wanted to look at him, no matter how broken, as if she'd never see him again. And then she said, nearly inaudibly, There's hope. And then Delphi broke down. Her whole body went numb. Her arms fell to her sides. Her knees began to give. But she didn't fall because Cedric Diggory was there to catch her. <laughs> a few days later, Delphi was sorting the mail on the desk of her Uncle Amos's study. Since she'd returned, the organization atop the desk had improved greatly. She'd also opened a few of the curtains to let a bit more light into the room. Her uncle sat immobile in his wheelchair before the window, looking out at the park below, seemingly buried deep under his own thoughts. Then the knock came at the study door, which Delphi had been expecting. Her heart leapt, and she smiled as, her, as she turned to her uncle. Now who do you think that could be? She asked. She walked across the room, opened the door, and the visitor stepped into the study. Delphi pointed to Amos, and the visitor paused for a moment to take a deep breath. He slowly walked over to the old man in the wheelchair, and knelt down beside him. Hey, Dad, he said softly. Delphi watched as Amos Diggory, without any struggle or hesitation, turned to look at Cedric. She believed she knew why, and it wasn't because he was a winner, or a hero, or a bloody titan. The end. Whoa! <laughs> Oh, you gave me, you giving me all the feels, Andrew. I can, I can tell. I just, just choking up a there. Big stupid grin on my face through the whole ending there. Though I thought you were going to fake me out and the visitor to Amos Diggory's study was going to be Voldemort. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh. Oh, no. <laughs> Kill the spare. Uh. <laughs> wow, so we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, that was super long, guys. Thank you, no, thank you for hanging in there, and thank you to the listeners for listening through all that. It's, a it's lot. Harry well, Potter. We want five more parts. Well done. Uh, worth That's... noting, before we dive into it here, though, 
that we're uh, going to continue to try to hashtag keep the secrets as much as possible. <gasps> yes. So we won't be providing further spoilers where we can avoid it from the actual source material because that's not necessary. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about some original work here, loosely based on a prompt sort of like uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. You get it. Yes. Oh, you guys. Okay. Uh, so I know that was a lot to just take in, so I'm sure I'm watching you guys, and you're like, oh my goodness, that was a thing. And a lot of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. It was excellent. You, you had... Just the way you structured this, with two separate scenes between Delphi, 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 Delphi? You said Delphi. I we'll kept calling Delphi. her Delphi. I think that's I like what you it better. said the first it sounds, time. You know what? It sounds cuter. Hey, thanks. Um, and Cedric. These, just these two separate scenes. They're very different things. You have two characters who are going through some stuff. There's real drama and pain, and I felt it, and you performed it so well. Hey, thanks. Ah, yeah, listeners, ah. Andrew was going through the full range. I think he rolled a tear at one point. It was a really intense performance watching him. Yeah, I got into it. I had to. As I was writing, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get into this. Yeah, so, I mean, from my point of view, man, okay, it felt so effortless, the fact that this was set in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, you seemed fluent in it, there wasn't uh, many glaring things, I was like, well, actually, uh, Potter (laughs) nerd, push up my round spectacles, Uh, none none of those moments for me, so it, it... I'm sure there were inaccuracies, maybe, Marcus, did you notice anything good? Uh, nothing particularly noteworthy. That's uh, other than, so this this took place, if I did my math correctly, Mr. Neal, in yeah. Cedric's fifth year at Hogwarts, 92, is that correct? Is that what you're... Uh, is that no, your it would have been two years, two years before the Triwizard Tournament, which was 94. Yes, and he was a seventh oh, year in yes. 94. No, I did fourth year, second term of fourth year, is what I was thinking. Okay, oh, that's, that's right. fair. Works. Yeah. Uh, so at that point he was playing Chaser, whereas I believe the next year he was. I think he's seeker. a seeker, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, Which he's happens. seeker. He, he's seeker in Azkaban. Yes, I believe. Which 1992 would have been the end of Harry's first year. 92 would have been the end of Harry's second year. Or no, yeah, end of end of Harry's first year. That's right. Yeah, I figured this out. It's been a 91. while since I figured it yeah. out, but <laughs> yeah. so anyway, it did, uh, works out. Uh, I did out. think about this. I did think about it. So I figured you had thought about that. That that wasn't an inaccuracy with him being chaser. Yeah, I think well, it was good. I made that's, it up. That's very I, I'll impressive. Just, I'll say I made that part up yeah. because I knew he was the seeker later. But I was like, hey, maybe he was the chaser. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah, good detail. I like it. Uh, I have nothing bad. To say about this thing, oh, I do. So tear it apart. <laughs> well, first of all, should we uh, should we see what what Andrew I, has I to say hear about the process? Well, I, I don't want to just say I have bad things to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say that for me, there was uh, three different ways that I'll be looking at it when we do talk more in depth. Uh, one was emotionally, which you just crushed. Two was in terms of the prompt, which I think was weaker, and. Uh, 
three was in terms of the story that you crafted, and there's some things that I want to comment about that specifically. But tell us about the process, because with all that being said, this was an amazing effort. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, So the first thing that my mind went to, because we mentioned it in the pitch, was Back to the Future. And so my first idea was to have it be more of a Back to the Future-like scenario where Cedric fell in love with Delphi, the way that Marty McFly's mom falls in love with him. I saw the glimmer of that. Yeah, but I just, I that, that kind of worked its way out. And the key theme that I latched onto, which seemed to be the theme amongst all of these characters, were daddy issues. And so I saw this as a story fundamentally about children and their fathers. And I really wanted to play with that specifically. Um, and that led into the whole... You mentioned in the first part, Amos, as the helicopter dad. And that made me think of the howler element and tied it in that way. Um, and then this, and, and then also Breakfast Club was another bit that I thought of um, hmm. for that. Because uh, Emilio Estevez's character, Andrew, in that movie is a wrestler. And his dad... He, well, he has a speech in the movie about his dad... Yeah, um, pushing him to to be great, and so I kind of drew on that for reference as well. Um, but the idea for these two scenes, wherein the where the same characters would be in them, but then they switched, you know, in terms of age and in terms of like who is dominating the conversation between the first and the second, was really interesting to me, and how their dynamic would change. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I eventually just latched on to. Um, but I didn't really latch on to that until I was in the midst of writing the first part. And it kind of came together that way. Gotcha. Nice. Cool. So, Marcus, tear into it a little bit. What are the uh, what are the criticisms? Okay. Well, so first of all, you, Please, hit, yes. you hit a very strong emotional point, right? And when we look at sham fiction as a writing exercise, as we tend to do... Uh, being able to hit that emotion and hold the tension in the scenes is a more valuable thing to take away than your adherence to a Harry Potter prompt, right? Sure. There are some yeah. structural issues that I also want to touch upon, which are things sure. that can be more universal. But yeah. I, I just have to say I loved how you uh, made me feel in these situations. The, the howler was such a beautiful thing. What a terrible thing that his <laughs> father's just yelling at him and such a sad thing that he runs to the shrieking sack. Um, yeah, you, you did, as Eric said, a great job of just setting this in the wizarding world, having these little throwaways, uh, some of the spells, you know, I was hoping that I'd see Stupefy, uh, Expelliarmus, or Wingardium Leviosa, and we saw Expelliarmus, and that made me happy. Yay! And he threw in an Accio, for good measure. Uh, yep. So, excellent there. When I look at the prompt, though, I, I know Eric will go more about how the emotions really hit, um, so I want to look at more of the criticism with the prompt, I do feel like you just threw away Albus and Scorpius, uh, especially yeah. in the second half where they don't even make an appearance. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between setting a story from a perspective of a side character, but still having those other characters involved, and mm-hmm. what you did where you just tossed them, right? We, we didn't see any of their story or any of their engagement, which is especially worth noting when you come back in the second part. Uh, there's no yeah. follow-up on what they'd accomplished. So that threw me off a little bit. Um, 
and more importantly to the prompt, and this ties into the structure, was that there was no consequence consequence to the time travel. And that's a huge problem with the story, right? That is a so world-breaking problem in my mind. I would disagree. Okay. It seems that this is a story about the consequences, that they succeeded, but they didn't create a happy future with the father and son together. They created a cold relationship that has lasted like the last 20 years of distance, and that's what I felt. I'm like, wow, they did the thing, but at what cost? So I, I can see that. It, it's not how I would interpret it, though, because it, that consequence is no more dire than he just didn't die, right? There's no unforeseen consequence. It was a bad relationship continued to be bad is how I, I viewed that. It didn't affect anything in the larger world, and it didn't give me any reason to think that people shouldn't travel back in time to save people's lives because we end on the note where Cedric is going to patch things up with Amos. Okay. See, the thing that I I don't like about what you're saying, Marcus, is that um, I think Andrew focused on in this story. It wasn't about the wor- he wasn't writing a story about the real world implications of time travel. He was writing a story about relationships between people and to go off on oh no, we accidentally opened the gates of hell and now dementors are in the streets of uh of Hogsmeade, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't the story he was telling. And it's very clear to me that it focused in on that one issue. And, I mean, to be fair, the time travel bit, part one, is just a conversation between Cedric and Delphi. And that's all that happens. Like, they didn't fight, you know, there wasn't any sort of huge reveal. They just had a conversation. And then that beautiful thing where she accidentally left the photo behind, Mm -hmm. which I didn't even catch until it was brought up at the end, which worked so well for me. Um, So I don't think every time travel story needs to have a, a lesson as if to say, hey, kids out there thinking about traveling in time, don't do it. And I would agree. That's not my intention when I'm bringing this up. My intention is more about internal consistency. And specifically looking at the character motivation. Okay, so we don't have a clear view of why Delphi is there, even though we're in her third-person limited perspective throughout this. She doesn't think about her objective when she's having that conversation with Cedric. I know she gets sidetracked. And it doesn't come back to mind when she comes into the future either. So if her goal is to save Cedric because her uncle's in pain, that's one thing. If her goal is to do that and then she gets sidetracked and she then comes back and she's like, oh my gosh, I just hope that he's happy, right? Then that can intensify the drama. It's it's not that having Mm. that structure needs to take away from it or even sideline it. It's having that motivation that caused the time travel to have ramifications in how they view the present is what I was missing from a structural perspective here. Sure, and I I don't want to get into... Well, I guess I can get into my intent, even though that shouldn't really affect how you experienced it. You reacted the way you reacted. Um, But you guys are kind of both hitting on things that... You both are hitting on things that I was was intending to do. Um, I wanted it to be small. 
I wanted it to be strict to this relationship. And I thought about that because I thought about the, doing the big, you know, world changing thing. They could do something that completely screws with everything. But I didn't, I, I chose not to do that very quickly and wanted to keep it to the relationship between Cedric, Delphi, and Amos. And I figured that I thought about the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. you know, just the, the butterfly wings, you know, just the fact that she was there and told him that one thing about questioning and saying no could be the seed of something huge. Um, even if it was just so small like that. So that, that's, that was my intent was to have something very small. One reaction kind of set the course for a very different life for Cedric. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it would have been cool to see some of that from said in the present. You know, he says that you ruined my life, but he doesn't elaborate on any of... Then I stood up to my father and he he cursed me, right? Or whatever it was. Just have some hint at how that seed grew. Sure. Um, So there was this article that we've talked about offline uh, in the Harvard Business Review that was an interview with Penn Jillette. And he brought up the notion of passion versus skill. And when you have passion for something, sometimes people can forget the technical skills. So they're really into an emotion or something, but then they forget the structure or they forget to uh, hit their cue when they're on stage, right? Because they're letting that come over. I felt like there's a bit of that lesson to be learned here. Because the passion, Mm -hmm. it got me. I'm not cold. This affected me. I thought it was excellent. Um, But it's not a substitute for the technical skill of the plotting as well. Absolutely. And I think that that was also a deliberate decision. I really wanted to hit the emotion. And I think on a draft two, those sorts of elements could, I would, I would work on those elements. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, can we, can we do scores? Sure. And and end this, this bloody long and bloody excellent episode. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Bloody Titan. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start if I may, Marcus. <laughs> Please. Uh, so Andrew, because you said Akio Eric's heart <laughs> on this one, I uh, I got absolutely nothing like bad to say. It, it was just dramatic. It was good drama. I love your scene work. You took your time with it. It wasn't rushed. Um, I, you did a fantastic job. And uh, along the the uh, the meme or the theme of me using uh, the fantasy currencies uh, for these shows, <laughs> oh, yes, I, I believe please, for please. Uh, the name of the wind and for um, a, knight's, a couple other knight of the things. Seven kingdoms. Uh, seven kingdoms. I use the the fantasy uh, currencies set in the world, and I always screw it up. I never get it right. But, you know, this is Harry Potter. We got our galleons, our sickles, our nuts. So uh, your score is going to be uh, 210 out of 211 Republic Dectaries. <laughs> oh, <laughs> switching Republic credits. Oh, <laughs> only money. Excellent. Exactly. Marcus? Uh, so I'm going to use a different scale, Harry Potter inspired. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Hold hold your horses. I didn't even ask. I don't remember my bonus points, guys. 
Oh. Oh, yeah. We should probably do that. That's part of the show. Because that might get you a few extra dactaries. Yeah, it's not. It's not because, Eric, I did not hit your bonus points. You didn't? What was the bonus points? No, your bonus points were best Hermione moment. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I mentioned Hermione, but she is hardly a part of this story. You didn't get my my secret bonus points either, but that's fine. You're still 210 out of, yeah, you got it. Okay. Right, well, thank what you. What were my thank bonus you. points again? I've been on such an emotional journey. I just well, that's my exactly mind. what it was, Marcus. Oh, that's right. It was the saddest <laughs> moment. Make it super sad. So you definitely hit that. Yay! Mm-hmm. Uh, so the OWLs, because this is around fifth oh, yes. year. Uh, Ordinary up. wizarding levels, of course. Y- of course. You have uh, outstanding, exceeds expectations, acceptable. Dreadful and Troll, I believe, are the rankings off yep. the top of my head. Yeah. Wow, that's good that you remember those. <laughs> I, uh, I do like the series. So, <laughs> I'm going to, as a baseline, because these structure things do matter to me more, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you at an acceptable. But, Ooh, like all good hurts. endings to Harry Potter series, we have to adjust the score. Oh, of course! Oh, yep! Uh, yeah. Extra points! So, Gryffindor! For long term listeners, by which I mean if you listened to last week's prediction segment, I promised Andrew some extra points on his next recording if he uh, mentioned, or if he could name all three of the Hobbit films, which he did. Yes. So, that, that pumps you up a little bit. That's a half score. Uh, you hit my bonus points, which is another half score. And uh, you also, you made me feel. So I'm going to give you an exceeds expectations. That's my, my hey, final answer. I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate that, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. appreciate both of your scores. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to use them up. Republic credits. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and you know what you can do with those credits, Andrew? I, you, you beat me to it. You're going to go to the West End in London. You're going to dish it all out to see this, this show. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Yes. Or... If you can't manage to get tickets because it's sold out from here to the end of the century, uh, you can just, you know, you can pick up the print version. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to absolutely do that because I've been looking forward to reading this one. It's it's excellent, as was your story. Thanks, guys. Awesome. I think we have reached the end of our journey, our two-part journey in one part of show. (laughs) (laughs) So, well done, Dragon. This is Andrew Neal for Sham Fiction. <laughs> oh, you! You did it! That's it! I love, love it. Love it. Love dub, dub. I love you. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at ShamFiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. ShamFiction. Write what you don't know. Hey there, Scout. It's your favorite sham host, Andrew, here. Say, buddy, did I ever mention I work for the government? Well, Bureau of Unexplained Phenomena, to be exact. It's okay if you've never heard of it, Tiger. Anywho, next week the job's taking me to a small town in Maine. There's been some weird stuff going on up there, champ. Power lines have been knocked down, huge foot-like tracks have been found in the woods, and cars have been turning up with what looks like a big old bite out of them. (laughs) Weird, huh, Chief? Don't worry, pal. Your man Andrew's on it. So everything will be just fine. And you know why, buckaroo? Because I work for the government. See you next week, slugger.